Well, good morning. What a blessing it is to be with all of you this morning. As Sam said earlier, my name is Drew. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Drew Cook. I have the privilege of leading our student ministries here at the church, working with our high school and college students um, with an awesome team. This, this uh, quarantine, all this COVID-19 stuff has been really difficult for everybody, I'm sure. Um, and I, I definitely recognize how blessed that I am in these times because I've still had the opportunity and privilege to work alongside um, staff here at the church and with the, the team and our student leadership ministry team. And it's, it's a blessing to be able to, to work with them and, and to do ministry alongside them. And even though it's been, there's been discouraging times, and I'm, I'm really going to be referencing that quite a lot. I know a lot of you are in here and you're like, okay, we get it. There's the virus and we hear about it all the time. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Sorry to get used to it. Um, no, but I, I really think, I'm excited to share what the Lord's put on my heart this morning um, just in thinking of the context that all of us are in. And um, the other thing that I want to say, for those of you that don't know, I love talking about this a lot. I had a son a couple of months ago. So, thank you. I gave that pause expecting the applause, so thank you so much. Um, no, thank the Lord for that. His name's Mateo. We call him Maddie, And he's about to be three months old, actually. So, I'm going to talk about him a little bit. And I love, I love having babies in here. I love having all these ameners in here. And I like it when people talk, you know, like, that I know you're listening and responding during the message. And so out of the, out of the mouths of infants and babes, right? My son was here last night, and he was making some noise while I was preaching, and I was all about that. So I, I love having babies in here. So thank you for having babies in here. Um, so today what we're going to consider are really two concepts. Uh, the first one are two things that go hand in hand with each other, I believe, and it's Suffering and comfort. Suffering and comfort. And the, the second concept, and really it's a charge, it's a, it's a challenge and, and a response. We're going to talk a little bit about what it practically looks like. Is this idea that all of us as Christians should really consider. And, and this idea is that we need to grow up. Everybody say grow up. Okay, don't be so aggressive. I get it. No, we, we need to grow up. And so what we're going to do... The way that we're going to do this is by looking at 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Specifically, what we're, what we're going to focus on is the first chapter in 2nd Corinthians. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 10. And, um, but we're also going to look a little bit at uh, other passages in 1st Corinthians. I do this every time I have the opportunity to preach. Um, in our student ministries, we, we love doing expositional teaching which basically means word by word, verse by verse, we just do an expositional progression through a book in the Bible. And every once in a while, we'll do like a little topical series, but really it's better to go... Pastor Mike preaches like this, if you didn't know. Um, he preaches expositionally. He'll take, a, a, he'll take a chapter from Scripture, or he'll take a book from the Bible, and he'll focus on that verse by verse. And sometimes he'll even go back over a lot of the same verses and then revisit them and dig deeper and deeper. And the reason why it's so valuable for us to really think of Scripture and consider Scripture that way is because it gives us a context of what it is that we're reading. Instead of me just coming, and I could do this, and it's not, there's anything wrong with this, but this is, if, this is what all that I, if this was all that I did, there probably would be a problem with this. But if all I did was come up here and say, like, okay, we're going to talk about suffering and comfort today, and I just peppered my message with a lot of 
verses about that stuff and then, le- and then tried to encourage you and then you left. That's, there's nothing technically wrong with that, but it's better when we can really understand the context of what we're reading so that we have something to grab and chew on and hold on to and talk about, something of substance. Because after all, the, the Word of God is about a lot of people that were in actual situations. And so we really do ourselves a disservice if we don't consider the context of those situations when we approach the Word of God. And so what I want to start is, is by setting up just a little bit of context, context about these two different um, books. So Paul, of course, wrote 1 Corinthians. And he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians. But you can actually read in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is referencing a previous letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, um, dealing with the sexual immorality that was happening in Corinth. And um, so we know that even that, that's not in our canon of Scripture. We don't have the, his first letter in our Bible. But the first letter that we do have in our Bible, we call 1 Corinthians because it's the first one we have. But it was, it's really the second letter that we know about that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And so when Paul wrote this letter, the first letter, he was in Ephesus. So Paul, he, on his missionary journeys, he, 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 you know, by being pursued by Jews that were really seeking to have him arrested and probably killed, really, just silenced, because he kept on, he kept on talking about this Jesus guy, and he kept on saying that this Jesus is the Messiah, he's the promised one, and he's trying to recontextualize all these Jewish people's faith, and he's kind of, he was causing a lot of ruckus all over the world, and so, um, they, they were pursuing him and following him and trying to capture him. And so he kind of split away from the rest of his companions and went down to this little Greek, it's in Greece, this little Greek city, Corinth. And he spent about a year and a half there. Um, and, and when you read, we talked about this in our student ministries, but when you read the opening uh, like part of First and Second Corinthians, and really when you read the beginning of a lot of, of all of Paul's letters, for the most part, he always says the same thing to an extent. He'll say, Paul an apostle, or he'll say Paul and Timothy, if he if he had, had other people that were helping him with it. But he always says Paul an apostle. He's always defending his apostleship when he starts these letters out. I mean, you all know this probably. If you don't, Paul was not one of the original twelve disciples. Um, Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Greek name. When when Saul was was a young was a, a younger man, I guess, than what we read about in the first century. Uh, but but while, while after Jesus had finished his ministry on earth and then had ascended up into heaven after resurrecting from the grave, Paul, Saul was, was still continuing to try to persecute the church. He was trying to silence Christians. And so on his way to Damascus, y'all heard this story, he, he was confronted by Jesus himself and, and asked by the Lord, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? And through a sequence of events, Saul found his way in Damascus where he was confronted by Ananias by the command of, of Jesus to telling him to give his sight back because Jesus blinded Paul when he was on the road and he commissioned Ananias to commission Saul. And then when you read the rest of the book of Acts and even when you read other parts of, of Paul's letters, he references all these personal experiences where he was literally visit, visited by Jesus and, he, and, and Jesus verbally like actually spoke to him. And so you see these criteria, there's certain criteria that, that we like to talk about that, 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 makes someone, that made someone like a legit apostle in the first century, like an uppercase, apostle, uppercase A apostle. And, and we see that Paul really fits all, these, all of these criteria because he was literally physically visited by Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
And after he was in Damascus and in several points throughout his training, he was literally and physically visited by Jesus. And Jesus audibly spoke to him and commissioned him and gave him an objective to go. And, and we know this. I'm going to ask, who was it that Jesus gave um, Paul the, I guess, the, the mission to go and minister to? Gentiles. Thank you. It was Gentiles. But every time Paul would go into a new city, he would go where first? To the synagogues. He would go and try to convert the Jews there. So was his ministry to Jews or Gentiles? Well, yes. Really, the answer is yes to that question. But, but he knew that, that, that his objective, he knew that, his, that the ultimate way that he was going to continue to be used by the Lord to further the kingdom, because Jesus commanded him to do this, was by extending this good news, this gospel, to everybody that he came into contact with. But he knew that when he went into a new city, man, if I can get these Jews that live in this town, if I can reason with them from the Old Testament, if I can describe to them how Jesus, he, he is the fulfillment of all of these things from the prophets and the law, man, we'll, we'll be able to, to get some new Christian converts that are already really far along on that path because they have this context of understanding, Right? And, and so that's really why we teach the way that we teach at this church. I, I've, I've had the opportunity of sit, sitting under Pastor Mike's teaching for the last like 11 or 12 years now. And just a, a man who preaches the word of God, he gives us context, he gives us understanding. And really that's the Lord doing that through him for our benefit by the spirit of God. And so that's what a blessing that is. When we have something to actually grasp onto when we approach the Word of God, just like these new Jewish converts to Christianity in the first century, it gives us something to hold on to. So that when we go out and we're supposed to fulfill this ministry, which is making disciples of all nations, we actually have something that we can grab onto and talk about in a meaningful, realistic way. Does that make sense? And so Paul, he's in Corinth, does all his ministry, goes to Ephesus, writes the first letter. He's like, hey, there's a lot of sexual immorality here. We don't know what's in there. But then in the second letter, which is 1 Corinthians in our Bible, he addresses all of these problems. Sexual immorality is still really at the top of the list of some of those problems. Um, there was inappropriate relationships going on between a man and his stepmother, sexual inappropriateness that was happening in that situation, and there was drunkenness, and all, all of these problems, right? Stuff that, it, a lot of the sin that we still see that plagues our world and even our lives today was going on in Corinth. And but really, the, and, and this is really important for our purposes today, I, I really believe in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read it, please. I would challenge you all to read that this week. It's this culmination. It's really the climax of this letter because it talks about the resurrection. So in the first century, in Corinth, there was apparently, Paul says it, there was a problem with a lot of these Corinthians who didn't believe in life after death. They struggled with this whole concept of like, no, when you die, you're dead and nothing happens after that. And there's a little debate as to where that influence came from. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's this man in our church. His name is Tom Silverthorne. He used to be chairman of deacons. He's still a deacon. He helps out with our college ministry. But I loved when he taught about this concept. He, so in, in, Jewish, um, in the Jewish hierarchy, all called the Sanhedrin, there was, two, there was like two different parties or ways of, uh, of thinking in Judaism. You had the, the Pharisees. And then you have the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. They believed in life after death. The Sadducees did not believe in that. And the way you remember that, I learned this from Tom, is they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? And so actually there's a couple opportunities that Paul took on his ministry when these Jews were trying to kill him. 
And he's like, hey, we believe in the resurrection, right? And the Pharisees were like, yeah. And the Sadducees were like, no, we don't. And so while they were fighting, Paul would just kind of like sneak away and, and not be torn apart by this crazy rioting group of people. And so um, maybe, maybe that's the reason why there is this persistent thought in Corinth. But Corinth was not particularly a very Jewish city. It was like right in the heart of the Greek Empire. Um, I, I guess Rome would have been the heart of the Greek Empire. But, but in Greece... Corinth is like right in the middle of the Mediterranean world, and, and it's more likely, and I kind of, I like to think about it like this. When I, I grew up in a church, I grew up in a family where I was always raised in the Word of God and instructed, but I didn't really spend a whole lot of time, really ever, until like I was 18, 19 years old, reading the Word of God for myself. And so I did this thing called a DTS, a discipleship training school, when I was, when I was 19 years old, and it, was, it really threw me off guard. Because it, it was the most spiritual experiences that I had ever had in my life. And I was even finding myself kind of struggling with the existence of, like, demons and angels and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I don't believe in that stuff. That stuff's, like, way too hyper-spiritual for me. And someone came up to me and they're like, Drew, do you believe in, in God? I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, do you believe in the Bible? And I was like, well, obviously. See, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, 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 and then they were like, well, then you should believe in everything that the Bible talks about. And I was like, oh yeah, I never thought about it like that before. And so I think really what we see in Corinth, and when you read 1 Corinthians, there's obviously this huge lack of knowledge that believers had in the first century, all over the place, but especially in Corinth, is that they were just lacking in understanding. I was just lacking in understanding. And when it was really, when I really opened my eyes to what the Word of God, and really it was the Lord who opened my eyes to see what was in His Word, I was exposed to all these things. And I'm like, well, yeah, this, this all makes sense. This is how God operates. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against heavenly force. It's against evil forces that are at work in heavenly places. This is real stuff. What the Word of God has to say is real. Every single word of it is relevant. Every single word of it is truth. If 1% of, it, of this is not real, then really nine, the other 99% can be called into question. That's why we say that the Word of God is perfect. That the Word of God is complete. That it's God-breathed. That it's inspired by God. That it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the way that Adam, um, my buddy Adam Ayala, he, pre, he, ta- he gave a teaching at prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, and he said, hey, if, if we believe in the Word of God, if, you believe in the, if you're sitting in the pews today because you want to be here, because you have understanding that the Word of God is, tr- is true and reliable and, and the Word of God is real, well, then that means that we should strive to live our lives according to it. Amen? And so with that said... Paul makes this argument with them. In in chapter 15, he says, hey, look, if the resurrection, if resurrection isn't a thing, I'm paraphrasing, okay? If resurrection is not a concept that's real, then not even Christ was raised from the dead. It's a pretty good argument, Paul. And then he says, and if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then what you preach is in vain. And really, everything that we believe is in vain. It's futile. For if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we, Christians, believers, we are to be pitied above all else. Because we're the biggest fools that exist if this isn't real. I don't know if you've seen the movie, um, 
Case for Christ is a book written by Lee Strobel. It's about his pursuit of, disproving, of trying to disprove Christianity. Well, he had a buddy that worked with him on staff at this newspaper, and I love the way that his buddy said it in, in this movie. I don't know if that's actually how it happened, but I love the way that the guy made the quote in the movie. He just said, he's like, hey, you're a Christian. What would be the best thing for me to, to try to attack in order to like, tear down the faith? Which is, that's, that's a pretty good question to ask a Christian. Like, as a Christian, it's like, you want me to give you advice on how you can... Okay, and, but, his, but his friend said, hey, go after, the res- go after the resurrection. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, then the whole faith is a house of cards. It just falls apart, right? But as it is, man, 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Jesus did raise from the grave, according to the scriptures. And, and there's all of these facts, and guys, they are facts, about about how Jesus came, he lived, he died, he resurrected. So what does it have to do with suffering? What does it have to do with comfort? Well, I, we've been watching this documentary um, in our student ministries called American Gospel. I don't know if y'all have seen this. It's on Netflix. I know probably most of you have Netflix, and if not, you have a friend that has it. And if y'all didn't know this, you can put your Netflix account on up to seven different devices. So my parents use our Netflix account. We use their DirecTV account. It works out like a Theirs is obviously more expensive, but it's a nice little exchange we use there. But, but this, this documentary, American Gospel, it's awesome. It refutes this whole idea of the word of faith movement, the prosperity gospel. It's, an, it's a really good documentary. It's a really good documentary. And I would be foolish to assume this. Looking around here, there's probably about 100, maybe 120 of us in here right now. And I would be foolish to assume that every single person, just because you're sitting in this church right now, that you have an accurate understanding of the gospel. I would be foolish to assume that. And so what is the gospel? The gospel has nothing to do with you. Because if it had something to do with you, it couldn't be called gospel. It wouldn't be called good news. Are y'all tracking with me? There's this illustration that's in the American gospel. It's called, it talks about this whole idea of faith plus works. It's, it's, this, it's this plus theology. So they say, like, it, it is faith, but it's also plus your good works. It is grace which is getting something you don't deserve, but it's also merit. It is like scripture alone, but it's also traditions and other things that we believe in as well. It it is for the glory of God, but it's also for the glory of us and for the glory of the saints, people, you know, praying to saints, stuff like that, people who are important that we see in scripture. And that is not biblical. That is not biblical at all. To say that there's this illustration, it says that faith plus works equals salvation. So what they do is they put they put works at the root of your salvation. And if that was true, that if your good works is what earned you your way to heaven, Galatians chapter 2, verses 21 says, literally Paul writes that if, if you could attain righteousness according to the law, by, by, by being obedient to the law, by following the law, then Christ died needlessly. Christ's death was purposeless. If you could attain righteousness just by observing the law. And so as it is, we, we see that faith is not the root of our, of our salvation, but it's rather that faith equals salvation, and the fruit of that is good works. Your good works are not the root of your salvation. Good works are the fruit of your salvation. And we're going to kind of touch on that a little bit more later, but the reason why I wanted to get us, get, be very clear about what the gospel what the implications of the gospel teach us is as we talk about this idea of suffering and comfort and growing up, I do not, I would, I would be heartbroken to think that I am communicating this in such a way where you're leaving today just thinking like, well, I just got to try harder. I just got to be better. I just got to do more. 
and then maybe I'll be able to like earn the favor of God. That's never the case. That is never the case. If, if that was the case, it would, it would kind of get, if there's something that you could do to secure your right standing with God, then you could also make the argument that there is something that you could do to earn your right standing with God. Which would also mean that there would be something that you could do to, to lose your right standing with God, to lose your salvation. And that's also not b- biblical. If you could lose your salvation, if, if that was a thing, all of us would do it. All of us would lose our salvation if you could lose it. Because none of us are good enough or try hard enough or, or work or, or, or the best at, in anything in order to maintain merit with God. But as it is, Jesus, he lived according to every standard that's ever been brought forth to humanity perfectly. There's about 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Just start writing all those down on a board. Every single one of you, write those, if you were to write that on a board, and then just start comparing yourself to all of these. Did I do this? Did I do that? No, no, no. Okay. I'm doomed. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And, and he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So there needs, with that truth alone, if that's something that you've never heard before, that, 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 that the one who is perfect, who never sinned, he's a perfect priest, he's a perfect king, a perfect mediator, all, the, all these analogies that are used in the, in, the, in the New Testament, from the Old Testament, if that's something you've never heard before, putting your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ will secure your eternity in heaven. Not dependent upon yourself, but dependent upon the one who did it for you on your behalf. That's why it's good news. That's why we call it good news. It's the best news that could ever be declared by somebody. But there needs to be fruit from that. There needs to be a sign. There needs to be things that that, that are produced from that truth. Uh, The first thing I would say is, is a heart of worship. This whole idea of growing up, it needs to start from this baseline of, it's because you love the Lord, right? Look at me in 2 Corinthians as we finally open this up. We're not going to read verses 3 through 7. What I first want to do is look at 8 through 10, right? And, and talking about suffering, talking about comfort, talking about affliction, having a heart that loves the Lord beyond anything else. Last night in our college ministry, um, one of our students mentioned this after the teaching was over. Actually, Timothy's I mentioned him about another comment you made. I'll mention you again right now. He was, he was making a comment. And he's like, well, when, whatever our affliction or whatever our suffering is, when we compare that to the goodness of God, to the fellowship of the Lord, to the nearness of God, we just, it just fails in comparison. And we say, whatever the cost, it's worth it because I love you, God. Why? Because you first loved me and you gave your son as a ransom for me. So I'm going to live my life to glorify you no matter what the cost no matter what, what affliction, what suffering, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Look at verses 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. So Paul's speaking for him and Timothy and a group, of, a group of disciples who had really been suffering in Ephesus and other places. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And we're in this big, I know there's a lot of you who've, who've had these kinds of thoughts before. Suicidal thoughts. Thoughts of, this isn't even worth it. This life. 
man, I'd be, I'd be better off not being alive. This is just such a brutal experience that I'm going through. I don't know if y'all have been paying attention, but the statistics of, of suicides during this whole COVID pandemic, plague, really, suicides have trended really high during these times. They're just, people are despairing. All these people that are godless that don't understand the fellowship of, of the Lord, man, they just they, they, they look at their life and they despair and they, and they dread the fact that they're even alive right now. They're utterly, the, the, the despair is utterly beyond the strength of what he could handle. In verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And I read a commentary. This isn't talking about the persecution that he was going through from people. Like, I've received a sentence of death from the Roman Empire because of what I've done. In fact, he's saying that because of this persecution, because of things that he's been going through, it really just feels like he's, he's received this whole sentence of death, meaning this life is just, man, I'm, I'm in despair right now. I'm weak. I'd rather be dead. Pretty crazy. But that was to make us, this is, this is key, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Thinking back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These things are to remind us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. By the way, the one who raises the dead. See, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about resurrection. It talks specifically about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was dead, and then he rose again from, rose again from being dead, the implications of Jesus' resurrection mean that all of us are going to one day be resurrected as well. Continue to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where Paul goes with that argument. He goes, but in fact, Jesus did raise from the dead. And so we have in store for us when we're all going to raise again from the dead. Though we die, we will live. Every single person, not just Christians, every single person in the world is going to be raised again and taken before the Father in heaven. And we're going to be judged. For those of us that are Christians, this is like, this is what, again, why it's good news. We're judged according to what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's awesome. Non-Christians will be judged according to the fruit of their life, which as we all know is sin. And what does is, what is Romans chapter, chapter 6 teach us? That the wages of sin is death. But the free gift... The, but the, oh man, I, I, sh- I should know this one. Uh, the free gift of life is... But the gift of life is eternal life. I'm, I'm butchering it. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone quote it for me and save me real quick. Come on. No? Thank you. Good grief. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. Okay. Um... And so that's, that's, again, that's why it's good news, thinking about this concept of resurrection. Suffering, suffering is something that's promised to us. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. This is the night as, you know, when he prays in the garden and then he goes to the cross the next day. He literally says to his disciples, right after he finishes like washing their feet and serving them communion and stuff, he goes, hey, in this life, this is a promise. In this life, you will have trials. You're going to suffer. You will find persecution. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to be tested and tempted. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel, you're going to feel heaviness. There's going to be times when you feel, you're going to feel tempted to even despair, to despair even life itself. And then Jesus says, but take heart. I have already, I already overcame the world. 
already, I already, I already overcame the world on the cross. He didn't say, I'm going to finish this. What did he say? It is finished. It's done. Paid for. Amen. So we're promised by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we're going to suffer. This, this documentary, American Gospel, it focuses on the, the health and wealth and, and happiness gospel. That, hey, after all, and this is how they, this is how, this is how they kind of get you. There's millions of Christians who, who believe in this as, and they live their life according to it. Maybe some of you in here have, have been sucked into this. It's not biblical. But what they say is, what they say is, hey, if God, hey, and after all, Scripture teaches that God is our Father in heaven. And raise your, hey, I can raise my hand now because all of my fathers in here, raise your hand, fathers. Okay, so don't, wouldn't we want the best for our kids? I mean, I know that I want the best for my son. And that's subjective, right? Like, the best for my son could be, you know, giving him some sort of dis- discipline because he did something wrong. He's only three months old, not yet, but maybe later on down the road, right? Don't cry, Maddie. No, <laughs> he's too young for that. But, and so, but they, they say, hey, well, our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so if, if, we, think, if we think of this concept that, man, if we have a Heavenly Father who's, who's perfect, wouldn't He want the best for us? And so if you seek God and if you have enough faith and if you give enough money to your church and, and, if, and if you believe, then God will give you more money. He'll give you a better job, a more successful career. He'll, he'll do whatever it is that you want. I, literally, these, these people that are referenced in this, in, this, um, in this documentary, American Gospel, they even say, at one point they even say, like, hey, when you do good works for God... When you do good works for, for God in heaven, those are all like, like works that you can cash in later. So that when you're like praying, you can be like, hey God, remember that one time that I did this? Okay, I want to I wanna cash this in and, and reap the, you know, like hold your wallet open. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready now. I, 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 helped, you know, I, I helped that old lady cross the street. I'm ready for my, I need $2,000 now. I'm going to cash this one in. Right? The health, wealth, prosperity gospel, they say... Suffering, it's really just a sign that maybe you don't have enough faith or that you're living in sin. I will, now, let me say this. Do we suffer because of sin in our own lives? 100%. 100%. A lot of suffering that I've experienced in my life is because of my own stupidity, my own poor decisions. But this is not the kind of suffering that Paul's referencing. Earlier, Sam read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul puts it into context here. He's like, man, I've been... I've been lashed 39 times. That's the same thing that, Jesus, that happened to Jesus before he went to the cross. It's like, I've been stoned, been shipwrecked, imprisoned, wrongly accused, all these things. He's not to mention the pressure of having to lead all these churches. Right? Paul, Paul he puts into context all this affliction that he's had to go through. And actually, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, And nine, for seven, eight, nine. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So this is like at the, when he's giving like his final closing remarks and thoughts to to the church in Corinth. He's like, hey, I, I'd, I'd love to come and visit you guys, but right now there's been a wide open door of opportunity for me to go to go minister in Ephesus, but. There's a lot of adversaries. So there's a fundamental truth about this. 
This whole idea of suffering and comfort. You know, the kind of affliction that Paul had to go through. Anytime that there's opportunity, it's usually true that opposition will also be there. Anytime there's an opportunity for you um, that the Lord has given you to, to be useful for His kingdom, you will probably, and I would even say you will, be met by opposition. Just as Paul, he was like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity in Ephesus. Man, was there a lot of opposition while he was in Ephesus. And that's true for a lot of... In Galatia, there was a lot of opportunities, but he was also stoned to death. And then God rose him again. It's pretty crazy. So where there's opportunities, there's going to be opposition. And if this is true, that you're suffering, you're affliction, this is all just you know, signs that you don't have enough faith, well then Jesus, our Lord and Savior, did it wrong. Because man, did he suffer. All the apostles in the first century that were martyred, I mean, we're, we're talking about people that were crucified upside down and burned alive in oil you know, and boiling oil and you know, beheaded, burned to the stake. They, they got it all wrong too. But as it is, Christ promises us that we're going to suffer. If anyone wants to come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. So a cross, that's, it's a burden. It's heavy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to, it's going to feel like a load. It's going to feel like a weight. But look at this fundamental truth about whatever our affliction, whatever our suffering is. Read with me in verse 3 through 7 in 2 Corinthians. Just read along with me, if you will. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly. We share abundantly in comfort. Amen? So there's really two, th- two truths that I would say about about suffering and comfort. If you were to ask the question, like, who is our suffering for? Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. But our suffering is for ourselves. It's for your own benefit. Paul literally says, in this, I remember the first time I read this, I was in high school, and I was like, that is weird. But in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I rejoice. I glory. could also be said, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because when I suffer... God is producing perseverance in me. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. We, just, we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that he will deliver us. That he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He's already delivered us from the bondage of sin. He's already... He's already completed his rescue mission and sending his one and only son to snatch us out of hell. And, and, and if that's true, we believe it is, then he will deliver us again. That's why we have hope. That's why no matter what suffering or affliction that we're going through, it's not just I need to try harder so that I can experience this hope. No, it goes, no, it's already been accomplished for me on the cross. It, I, it, this, this victory has already been purchased for me by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And now I can say with confidence 
that, that you're producing perseverance and that you're producing character and that that character and perseverance is ultimately going to lead to hope that I can continue to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who came and died and rose again. We fix our eyes on him. It's for our, our suffering is for ourselves, but it's never just for ourselves. The second thing is that our suffering is for other people. There's been a lot of times when I've sat with students and they've shared with me their stuff. And it's, and it's you know, more or less there's been times when I'm just like, that's crazy. I don't even know how to talk about that with you. And other times it's things that I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. And I learned this early on. And what I, what I would hate to do is, you know, I, I say this a lot, that all people's hard stuff is hard stuff. All of your hard stuff is hard stuff. The Lord does not let you be tempted or tested or trialed beyond anything that you can bear. But when you are tempted or trialed or tested, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. But, it's a te- but, but that temptation, it's hard. It's a trial. It's, it's tough. All of your hard stuff is hard stuff. What I would hate to do if I had a student come in to me and, you know, and they're like, yeah, Drew, I've just really been at odds with my mom this week. I mean, it would be insensitive for me to be like, well, you should have just heard what this last student is, is, has, has to deal with because they, whatever... So suck it up. Get over it. You're going to be okay. Like that, that would be really insensitive of me, right? But I think great advice, and this is not my own original thought. It's right here in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Great advice for all of us is that we should assume as Christians. And I, I, like, I always say that as Christians, because you might not be a Christian. You might not be someone who's actually decided to take that step of faith. And, 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 and understanding, right, that God gives you that Jesus has done all of this on your behalf. But if you are, and you're sitting in here, and you're like, no, I, I have confidence. I, I confess with my mouth, and I believed in my heart, and I know that I have life in Christ, and that's been secured for me. Well, then this is great advice for us, for me and for you. That any affliction that you're going through, you need to assume I need to assume that there is going to be a point in time where I'm going to be confronted by somebody else who's going through some kind of affliction where what they need is the same exact comfort that God gave you when you were going through whatever it is that you had to go through. Your suffering is never for yourself. Your comfort is never for yourself. We identify with Christ and his sufferings and we identify with Christ in comfort. We are supposed to identify with people in their suffering so that we can help them and comfort them to identify with them in that comfort and that hope, that hope of deliverance that we have in Christ Jesus. Start in verse 6 again. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. This is what Paul is saying. He's talking about him and Timothy and everyone else that was in, that was in Ephesus and probably maybe in Macedonia by this point. They're saying, hey, if we're afflicted, if we go through all these things, know this, ultimately it's for your comfort. You can read this in the book of Acts. Acts was in Philippi, and he was wrongly accused of something and thrown in jail. And then he converted this Philippian jailer to Jesus. And then the next morning, the Roman guards are like, okay, you're free to go now, Paul, so we're good, right? And you'd think, like, I would think if it was me, I probably would have been like, oh, that was amazing. Like, I converted that Philippian jailer to Christ. And I'd be like, thanks, guys, bye. But literally, after this really crazy experience where Paul was wrongly accused and thrown into prison, and then he converts this Philippian jailer, what he did when he got out, and they were like, hey, you can go now, Paul. Paul was like, no, that's, this is not okay. Right? He stands up. And he sets a precedent for future believers. He understood that what he had to go through was not for himself only. 
or just for that Philippian jailer so that he could be converted. He was like, no, I, I need to take advantage of this opportunity that God has placed me in right now to set a precedent for future generations of Christians that have to endure through this empire, right? Guys, this coronavirus, I don't know if y'all are really paying attention. In California right now, there's a mandate that says that churches can't sing in worship. And, and this, is, this is where my heart is really challenged. And I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure about this, that there's probably a lot of Christians who are in California right now who are just going like, okay, I get it. We want to we be safe and not give this disease to people. So I'm not standing up here and telling you that that shouldn't be a concern of ours. That's why we all have to wear masks. I'm going to put mine on after, we're done pre- after I'm done preaching right now. But I think that there's some big precedents that are being set with these kinds of mandates. And I, I really believe that it's not long until really as a nation, we could be facing serious implications of some of these mandates. I really believe this. I don't, I, I'm, I, this is just me speaking right now. For me, the 4th of July didn't really feel that 4th of July-y for me. And I really believe something that the Lord might be wanting to teach us through this is maybe our identity shouldn't be in the fact that we're Americans with freedom. Maybe our identity should be in the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Frankie and I were talking about yesterday. Frankie encouraged me with that thought, and I was like, bruh, amen, dude. Our citizenship is in heaven. Guys, what a shame would it be. What a shame would it be if through this whole process, like this has been mine and my wife's prayer, this whole process that we would say, you know, what, what, what is our testimony from this whole pandemic? It would be a shame if our testimonies were, you know what, it was hard and I was, in a, I, was in, I was in a place of despair where I was even like dreading life itself and I resorted a lot, you know, to my previous former sins and, you know, I didn't spend that much time with the Lord and I kept my Bible closed and I was really just in a really dark place the whole time. It, it was bad. What a, what a shame. What a shame. I, my prayer has been for Veto and I and, and for our church, for our students, for our community, for the church, for the people of God all over the world, that through this pandemic, our testimony would be like, you know what, I really learned a lot about what it means to have some nearness with God, to have some fellowship with the Lord, to open up the word of God and wake up to what's going on to grow up, to mature, to ask the Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What's your testimony? Man, I, was really, I learned a lot about God during this time. I learned a lot about myself. You know, it was really hard, but I learned a lot about how, how I need to adjust to all of this, how I really, where my priorities should be. Guys, it's really easy for me to stand up here and say this. Like, what I've been confronted by these last four months is, is you know, I love my, I love my life. And I loved all of the social interactions that I was able to be a part of being a youth pastor. Like, seriously, for a job, I get to play music, hang out with teenagers, and, like, think of fun games, right? At the top of the list is preach the gospel, right? But, but, but I get to do that stuff for a living. Like, it's, it's awesome. But through this pandemic, there's just been a lot of these fun little social interactions that have just been stripped away from me and from all of us in here. And what it really forced me to kind of do is to say, man, do I really believe this, that Jesus is enough? Like what I said earlier, that no matter what happens, I have my eyes fixed on the Lord. And so, hey, I love you, God. That's enough for me. That's what I'm going to put my confidence and trust and faith in. 
And so there's this charge that I want to give us. Drew, how do we, how do we live according to this idea that my affliction is for, ultimately so that God can comfort me, so that I can set my minds on, on hope. I can, I can hope by setting my mind on things that are eternal for the purpose of extending that to others. And I really think it has a lot to do with this concept of growing up. If you look at, if you look at this with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're just going to look at several verses in, in Paul's first letter. In, well, his second letter, but the first letter in the Bible that he wrote um, to the church in Corinth. Verse 13, second, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. And, and this, he was probably speaking to the men and elders that were leading the church there. But look at verse, I mean, for, for all of you men in here, grow up, act like men. Act like men, act like men of God. I, I read that a few months ago in my daily reading, and I was just like, I felt like I just got spanked by God, honestly. God was like, act like a man. And I was like, okay. And then Maddie was born like four days later. It was pretty cool. Um, look, at verse, look at chapter 14. This is for all of us, not just men. Verse 20. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Like innocent as does, but wise as serpents. That's how our Lord Jesus puts it. Be infants in, in, in evil, so don't defile yourself by just indulging in sin and in the flesh all the time. But he says, but in your thinking, be mature. Let's put some further context on this. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. This is my favorite one. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Um, this word teenager is like a pretty new word. It's like 50 or 60 years old. And really, it's a word that was invented to kind of give people that are that age an excuse to be immature for a little bit longer. And um, when you study scripture, like in Jewish culture, 12 and 13 for boys and girls is like the age of them becoming a man, becoming a woman. They have celebrations for it, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Um, And Paul, very, he doesn't say, (laughs) right, he doesn't say, when I was a child... I did all these things like a child. And then when I was like an older child, I talked like that. And then when I was like a young adult, like a teenager, no, he just says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I stopped doing those things. I stopped thinking and talking and acting like a child because I became a man. Because, because, because y'all become women. And the Lord is telling us, grow up. Grow up. Ephesians since Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Corinthians, look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is right when Paul is giving all of these um, positions of leadership in the church. He's talking about how God appoints different um, people that are in church leadership positions. You have all the spiritual giftings. All of us are gifted uh, to, as Christians to, do, to perform different functions for the body of Christ. But then there's the few gifts that pertain to people who are actually leading the church. Right? So you have like teachers, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, apostles, that kind of stuff. Then right after he says that, Galatians, Ephesians chapter, I said five, but I meant four. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, verse 13. So he talks about how these people equip the saints, and we just pick up with that thought. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You could, you could also say adulthood until we, until we grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know, all this thing that American gospel talks about, by the wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth, the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everyone say grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Drew, how, how do I grow up? Okay, so my son, um, he's almost three months old. I've said that like five times already, but I know. I like to flex on the fact that I have a newborn son. But um, he, we have him on a really good schedule. Like, praise God. Like, last night he slept for like seven hours, but then he woke up twice after that. But hey, give and take. But, but he, he's doing really well. And so we have him on the schedule. We feed him. We, Veto feeds him. She nurses him. I can't do that. She feeds him at 4, 8, noon, 4, 8. That's like, that's kind of how it goes for him, like every four hours. And so, but there's every once in a while, and actually today is one of those days, and I heard it this morning, but um, where, you know, he kind of gets a little bit off on that schedule. And so what Veto will do is like give him a little bit so that he'll maybe stay, you know, satisfied for a shorter amount of time so that then she can feed him again at the proper hour that we've, you know, planned for him, I guess. But every time that we've done that, it's pretty crazy the way that he acts, right? Like, as soon as she, like, cuts him off, there's, there's no delay at all. He's just... Like, imagine if the best meal that you've ever had in your entire life, which is true for him. He's three months old. He's only had this one meal, right? The best meal that you can, that you can possibly think of. I put it in front of you, and just as you're getting into, like, the meat of it, and it's just kind of starting to hit your stomach, and you're like, ooh, this is good. I'm hungry. This is going to be... I just take the plate away from you. Like, how would you act? You probably would be upset. You, but I, I'm willing to bet that most of you probably wouldn't just scream at me. Like, ah! maybe some of you would. I don't know. You'd be like, um, I wasn't done with that, Drew. And I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. And I'll give it back to you. But when, when Maddie acts like that, that's like acceptable for him. And it's not acceptableism we like that he's doing it. Like, good job. Scream your head off. But, but it's, it's, it's an appropriate response because of who he is and how old he is to scream his head off, to act like a little infant. But the truth is, in the church, is that there's a lot of us that have grown up in the church. There's a lot of us that have been sitting in these pews and, or chairs. I always say pews. We don't, we don't have pews anymore. They're sitting in these chairs, and you've, you've been sitting under teaching, and you've claimed to be a Christ follower for decades even. But when the afflictions, when the, when, the, when the temptations, when if it's sickness or disease or if it's just hardship in your life comes, persecution, your response exposes you to be a little infant that can't handle what it is that God has ordained and allowed you to go. And what God's telling us to do is to grow up. How do we know we're growing up? These last three things I want to talk about from the Gospel of John as we finish our time today. You know, um, Timothy, again, he asked me this question a couple weeks ago. He's like, hey, Drew, how do I know, like, what stage of maturity that I'm at? Which is a great question, and I still don't really know how to answer that question because it's like, you know, you're a level six Christian. You know, I don't, I don't know, like, how to answer that. But what I would say is, is that you're either growing or you're not. You're either maturing or you're not. And so what are the marks of a true disciple, somebody who's really growing? There's three. That, that, that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 15, if you'll go with me there, we're just going to look at, we're going to finish in the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. So somebody who is, somebody who can, can, you know, has the marks of a true Christian who's really growing and maturing is someone who's bearing fruit in their life. Um, Galatians chapter 5, I think verse 22 and on the fruit of the spirit would be like, probably the marks of fruit in the most major way. If you're, if you're actively expressing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if you're, if you're practicing all of those things and, and, and they're increasing in measure in your life, that's, that would be fruit that you're bearing in life. The best fruit, though, that we can bear as Christians are the people that we make disciples out of, are the people that we lead to the Lord and then walk alongside and help them to progress in their faith. That's really the greatest fruit that we can bear in this life is the people that we disciple, the people that we get to bring with us to heaven. That's incredible. Right? Paul, throughout the whole book of Corinthians, refers to the church in Corinth as like his children. And, and it's kind of a fun thought to think about that, that your disciples are kind of like your spiritual children, which means that their disciples would be your what? Your spiritual grandchildren. Right? And I always am fond of this memory back when... Um, oh, man... Pastor Mike's old discipler. Herb. Herb Hodge, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Y'all are saving me today. I appreciate that. Um, Herb Hodge, we had this like disciple makers conference and, and I was able to stand in, it was like an honor. I was able to stand in this line of like seven men where we were all like, it was like generational discipleship. And I was like, that's, I'd never even met Herb before, but he was like my great, great, great grandfather in the faith. Right? And so if, if you know, let's say Eric got saved yesterday and then he disciples one person for a year and then dies. I don't want that to happen, but if, if it did happen. And then that one person made a disciple who made more disciples, yada, yada, for the next 50 years. That would all be fruit of his ministry. How cool is that? Right? Bearing fruit. The second thing, John chapter 8, verse 31. And right, by what you'll bear much fruit? By abiding in the word. By abiding in Christ. Look at verse 31 in John 8 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So abide, you know, it's the same root of that word as abode or a home. It's to live, it's to remain, it's to stay. It's, it's to kind of guide, it's, it's to let the Lord guide your life in accordance with what it is that you're in. And so if, if we're abiding in the Word, that means that we're reading it, that we're studying it, that we're soaking it up. But not just that. James says, don't only be a hearer, but be a doer of the Word. So someone who abides by the Word and then obeys the commandments, that's somebody who's going to bear fruit. And then that's somebody who's going to prove to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We abide and we obey. Abide and obey. Amen? The third thing, and the last thing, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus gives this commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples, or just as I have loved you, you also love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the true, a true believer will have love for other believers. And really, you could extend that to people in general. The fruit of somebody who truly is a disciple of Christ is that they're going to love other disciples of Christ. And ultimately, they're going to love people. They're going to love people because people are made in the image of God, and we love God, so we love people. Right? 
That's my challenge for us today, guys, that we would grow up. What does it mean to be growing up? That we are abiding in the Lord, that we're being obedient to what it is that his word is telling us to do, that we're, so, that we're bearing so much fruit as we do this together as the body of Christ, loving each other, loving other disciples, ultimately so that we as the church can love others into the kingdom of heaven. Your affliction is never for yourself. Your comfort is never for yourself. Let's pray. Father, give us the eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand. Lord, as we endeavor to glorify your name and how we pursue the least of these, how we join efforts together as your church to bring the gospel to the nations. But I pray that we would do so having our eyes fixed on you, believing that no matter what happens, we love you. No matter what happens, we love you because you first loved us and you're worth it. Lord, I pray that we would wake up, that we would grow up, that you would help us to be productive tools in your hand for your kingdom, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, just a quick announcement. There is not going to be um, the Backyard Bible Club this week. That's been moved to the fall, um, just with all of the un- unfolding stuff of COVID-19. And so um, if you were planning on volunteering or being a part of that, or if you didn't even know what that was, then now you, you'll know what it is, and then you can be involved with that in, in the fall. Amen. Um, and as, as we dismiss today, our, our, remember, this is the side that we leave from, and our deacons are going to kind of help organize this, but we're going to dismiss from the back forward, just so that we can kind of maintain a safe distance from each other. I hope that you all have a great Sunday. God bless you guys. Grow up, wake up, and serve the Lord with your lives. Amen.